0: turn to mark chapter 3 and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 30 here in just a second how many of you had a great thanksgiving okay good how many of you ate too much how many of you are still tired this morning Okay, good. So my job is to keep you awake, right? So um, uh, I'll, I'll work hard at doing that. But let me first start off saying a few thank yous. Uh, first off, just I'm thankful for this church and their faithfulness. Uh, listen, one of the things that was encouraging about the Pooler Tree Lighting is that our church filled up all the volunteer spots before we even advertised to other churches to help out. And so that's an encouraging thing. And so uh, how many of you were at the tree lighting? Man, Good. Uh, How many of you enjoyed the tree lighting that took place? Our worship team uh, worked really hard. Brandon, thank you for all that you guys did. Um, and so I'm thankful for that as a church. I'm also thankful for some time off. David did a fantastic job last week. Uh, we mysteriously walked through bird fields. They flew and then they dropped. I don't know how, but um, it happened that way. Uh, so also, uh, finish the project. Listen, you guys have already started beginning to give, and it has been fantastic to see uh, on an offering report what you guys have started started but don't quit okay Uh, stay with this let's finish this let's see God work and let's see God move uh, by the end of the year Uh, the goal is to raise 40 grand so that we can finish the project we're to the point where things get really 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 expensive Uh, we've spent a lot of money already uh, but to do this five thousand dollars at a time is gonna take another eight months nine months to be able to do and so we need to finish this now and start off the new year right okay so thank you guys for your participation and for your help with that Uh, so this morning it's an Interesting topic because we know that you guys are the faithful ones, right? You guys are the great church families that come on a holiday weekend. Can you just say praise the Lord for that? Uh, Sometimes I worry that on a holiday weekend All I'm going to do is preach to my wife and my kids But then you guys file in and make it so much better for my family So I'm glad that you guys are here Uh, This morning we're going to talk about a topic of blasphemy Listen, this isn't something that we say on a regular basis We kind of use it in terms of college football Like that's blasphemous or whatever uh, To say that you like that team or whatever it is But this morning we give kind of a working definition of this So that we understand and what we're going to talk about in scripture The definition is this An impious utterance or action concerning God or sacred things An act of cursing or reviling God And so when we think about blasphemies We've kind of turned this into a, a funny thing So let me give you some thanksgiving blasphemies That might have been said Or if they were said We should immediately just say blasphemy The first is this If somebody shows up at your door on Thanksgiving Day and says, hey, thank you for inviting me, but I'm fasting today, that's blasphemy. You don't fast on Thanksgiving Day, right? Uh, Another blasphemous statement that could come from Thanksgiving is, I don't like turkey. Does anybody not like turkey? Oh, my goodness. Blasphemy, (laughs) blasphemy, right? Right? Uh, what One of our traditions is that we kind of hold hands and we go around and we say things that we're thankful for. Anybody else do this at their household before we eat? Um, and so if somebody got to their turn and says, I have nothing to be thankful for, that would be blasphemy, right? Did anybody experience that? Here's another blasphemous statement. I burned the rolls. Come on. You had one job. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, another blasphemous statement could be this: I don't watch the Macy's Day Parade. Does anybody not watch the Macy's Day Parade? You didn't see all the the balloon injuries that took place this year? Oh gosh, This one. I don't even know if, if these people exist, but if they do, they're blasphemous. I don't like football. I feel like we just need to leave that one alone. Uh, The next one, I don't take naps. How many of you got a Thanksgiving nap? How many of you wanted a? How many of you are still taking your Thanksgiving nap this morning? That may clarify some things. Uh, Another one, Black Friday is canceled. Sweet. Some of you guys are Black Friday broke, and, and wanted, wishing you could go back and change it. Uh, and this one is blasphemy to me. We don't eat pie. That's that's. I don't even know why you those words would utter out of your mouth, uh, if you haven't had good pie. But so when we think about this. We're going to talk about Jesus and a blasphemous statement that was made towards him. And so the context, and David did a fantastic job uh, laying the framework of Mark last week. And so an interesting thing takes place at the end of the passage of scripture that that David was talking about. Jesus' family, the crowd is following Jesus and going to his house. And Jesus is trying to get some rest. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, walks out to the crowd and says, Don't listen to him, he's crazy. And that's how that part ends, and we start here. And so we have kind of this interesting chain of events that's taking place within Jesus' life. We have this continual plot of people that want to kill him, want to get rid of him, and are evaluating whether or not he truly is the Messiah. So we come to this accusation, and this is where kind of the, 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 the thing escalates. You can do a lot of things to somebody, but when you get to a certain point, there's certain things that you should not say to a person. So they've tried all of these things, all of these occasions, just to try to get rid of Jesus or to get Jesus to do things the way that they think that he should. So in my opinion, what they're getting ready to say to them is one of the worst accusations that you could make. Listen, if you accused me of what they're getting ready to accuse Jesus of, I'd be horribly in my feelings. And so when we think about what this does and what this encounter looks like, I want you to look at the encounter that they have with Jesus. This accusation of the scribes in verse 22 of chapter 3. He says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. You realize in this statement, the religious leaders are going, listen, I know that you think Jesus is great, but he has the power of Satan. Listen, this is not a good thing to call the son of God Satan. Listen, if I were to look at you and say, man, you're a powerful person, but the only work that you have is from Satan, you'd be mad and ready to fight. So their new approach was, listen, we don't want to just annihilate him. We want to separate ourselves from the religious leaders as much as possible. So now we are proclaiming that Jesus is part of Satan and part of his group, and he does this in his power, not in God's power. Realize this is a serious charge The the scribes Have seen the power of Jesus They can't refute the power that he has And have witnessed his authority But instead of attributing his work to God They attribute it to Satan Not only do they refuse to believe But they are calling him Satan in the midst of this They won't just walk away They want to make sure that he goes away And you imagine listen for me this is something that would be very serious as a man of God that loves the Lord and strives to do everything to please and honor him if you tell me hey you're working for the devil we gonna fight listen this is something that's serious you can call me a lot of names don't call me the devil listen I don't care what water boy did okay don't this is a serious accusation so then we see Jesus' response and the strength of Jesus in his response in chapter 3 in verse 23 through 27. And Jesus, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, he's going to use two parables to clarify what their statement was. Listen, most of us in this moment wouldn't even be able to think we'd be so frustrated. Jesus' simple response is this, how can Satan cast out Satan. Wait a minute, you imagine the religious leaders, as they're walking up to Jesus, they've come up with this great plot, this great thing where they can finally take him down. Somebody is saying to somebody going, hey, if we accuse him of Satan, he's going to get so mad, he's probably going to punch somebody, and then this is going to be over. But even if he doesn't, everybody now is going to have that question in their mind, maybe Jesus is of Satan. Jesus' response, how can Satan cast out Satan? I feel like if this was the Jeff Hubbard version of Scripture, it would say something like this. How can Satan cast out, you idiot? This, This makes no sense. Why would Satan work against himself? He said if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If Satan was working against himself, he'd continually be shooting himself in the foot and nothing would be taking place. And if a house is divided against itself, now listen, we see this as kind of the the, the cute little, like Georgia and Georgia Tech on the license plate and a house divided and one time a year we don't get along and all these things. These are the paradigm opposite approaches. Jesus versus Satan. He said, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. He gives the second parable in verse 27, which we'll get to here in just a second. But the charge of the scribes is serious. And Jesus is going to respond with a significant warning. But he first points out the fallacy of their logic by the way of two parables. In this process, he also highlights his strength over Satan and the certainty of his victory over the enemy. And so parable one, we have this interesting understanding where the the approach has now been completely ruled null and void. We know that up to this point, Jesus has healed, Jesus has casted out demons, Jesus has done all these incredible miracles where crowds in whole cities were finding Jesus just so that they could be healed. Jesus makes the point that if he was empowered by Satan, the devil is defeating himself. It's an illogical assertion on the part of the scribes. He said the house would be completely divided. This accusation makes no sense. But can you imagine the scribes in this moment? Once again, they think that they have Jesus dead to right, and he schools them every time. You ever been around that person that always has a witty response? Maybe you're married to them. Maybe you're constantly looking for them to finally make one mistake so that you can pounce, and then they tell you why they did it, and you're like, oh, you're right. Some of you are mad. That's the same way that the scribes felt in this moment. The second parable is kind of listed and given as an understanding also in verse 27. He said, but no one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless his first Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Listen, the reality is that because of Genesis 1 through 3, because of Adam and Eve's sin, sin entered the world. And when Satan deceived Eve and Eve deceived Adam and Satan deceived both of them, the reality is that Satan won dominion over this earth. So he is a powerful force to be reckoned with. He is not somebody that we should continually flirt with or play with. So he has dominion. Satan is the strong man in this parable. But listen, Jesus has come to take back what is his. He's putting the scribes on notice, saying, I want you to understand, I am here for a purpose. Jesus is here to bind Satan, and that's what he did on the cross. He bound Satan by offering true forgiveness of sins. We've seen this incredible thing, and there's this victory that comes to the end. Jesus makes it clear that he has come, not in the power of Satan, but with power over Satan. He said, if you're giving me a a, a power, listen, I want you to understand, I'm more powerful than the one that you're even saying that I'm associated with. Listen, Satan is doomed for defeat. Sometimes we forget that in this world We give in to sin We give in to the things That can kind of continually take over our lives And we feel like we can never get the victory And I encourage you this morning Jesus is stating in this parable He has the victory And he's getting the victory again First John chapter 3 and verse 8 He says I love John's perspective on this He makes this clear Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. It's interesting that the claim that they're giving to Jesus, the one who has never committed a sin, is being a part of the devil. He said, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason that Jesus came, John the Beloved, the one that was close to Jesus, understood why he came. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the. The works of the devil. Jesus made sure of this. So we come to this warning. Listen, before we come to this warning, I want you to understand that Jesus is laying out this framework of what it would look like for somebody to come into your house and to take it over. The first thing that you would have to do would be to bind the person. You couldn't plunder through their stuff while they were still loose. Jesus is saying, I will have complete victory over him. Come to this warning from Jesus in verse 28 through 30, where he says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. And can somebody praise the Lord for that? And this is an encouraging thing. The children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter, but... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Listen, I want to be very clear at this moment of what this specific sin would look like. After witnessing the power of Christ firsthand, they were ascribing the power of the Holy Spirit to Satan. The scribes were basically cursing God. They were cursing who he was. They were putting distance and completely rejecting who he was. An understanding of the persistent sin, Jesus makes it clear, this sin will not be forgiven. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if you reject the Holy Spirit, if you choose not to know who Christ is and submit to him, this is the rejection that he's talking about. A clarity to this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which has kind of become a life verse for all of us that know that we sin on a regular basis, says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means that we can be forgiven, but the problem that lies in this, It seems that the nature of this sin is such that it leads into a settled and determined state of unbelief and unwillingness to repent. So the sin will never be forgiven because the person who has committed this sin will never come to a place of repentance. Look, the reality that in our world, there are people that will repent, will turn to Christ, but there are also a group of people that will not. An assurance for you this morning. Anyone concerned about committing this sin probably has not. Listen, you are a faithful group that has come here on this holiday weekend and Sunday. Like, you are the mature believers, Right? One of you, great. Come on. If you recognize the sin and you desire to repent, this is evidence of a heart that believes in Christ. There's a major reason for caution here. This is a warning this against a serious sin and also a caution against the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, Satan's attack is continually seeking to devour us. Satan's attack is continually lurking. He says, we must take sin seriously. And Jesus warns of the possibility of being completely hardened to the work of Christ. Love how Hebrews says this in chapter 6 and verse 4 through 8. on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned so the reality is that we are put in this place where we have two distinct roads to follow We can either turn towards Christ or we can reject him completely. I love that forgiveness is through Jesus. In verse 28 he says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. The warning should not be overlooked but neither should the mercy and the forgiveness of God that he is offering to you and I. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this puts us in this position where we have to choose one road or the other. One road is submitting to Christ and living for him and truly believing in who he he is. The other road is the opposite, which is the scribes are laying out to you. The religious leadership are laying out to you saying these words. He is not who he says he is. He can't be God. He can't be this. And it is complete rejection of who he is. I tell you this morning, the tough part about God is knowing that he is a good and gracious and loving God that offers this forgiveness for everyone tough part is that part we don't talk about very often is for those that reject this their end is eternity in hell now listen a very serious topic for us on a Thanksgiving weekend are you living for Christ are you living for him are you living forgiven because the reality is that when we come to this position and Jesus lays this out, he says, I will have victory over Satan. When I think about that parable, I think about it from my perspective. And listen, if you were to come into my house to try to attack my wife and my children, you would have to go through me. Can I get an amen, guys? Like, and so I understand this and I think, man, now listen, I'm a little bit of a strategy guy. And so I'm not going to reveal my whole strategy and let you break into me and know what's going to happen, but it has something to do with baseball bats and guns. Fair enough, right? Lots of guns. Are we getting this? Like I'm too old to fight. I shoot now, right? Amen. <laughs> we'll amen that. <laughs> it's a very, very confused church this morning. <laughs> But when you think about this, man, if you were to come into my house and try to take my wife and my kids, you would have to bind me, and you would have to bind me tight. Jesus is saying, I will overtake Satan, and I will release your family to the freedom of knowing Christ. Listen, understand, this is what Jesus. He's wanting to pay the price of forgiveness for you. This comes with a responsibility of truly living for him. So let me lay out what it means to truly live forgiven. What this understanding looks like. First thing is this, that we can learn from these parables and learn from this passage of scripture. Quit trying to make Jesus do what you want Start doing what he wants Listen The fatal flaw of the scribes Is the same flaw that we have Still today God if you'll do this I'll follow you for the rest of my life God If you'll just allow This to happen to me And this to happen to them And we negotiate and say God if you'll do things my way I'll follow you It's the same thing that the scribes were looking at. Scribes are going, Jesus, you're supposed to fast right now. Jesus, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. Jesus, why are you continually doing things that mess up our religious practices? Understand that this is the greatest form of manipulation that the scribes could use. We are in danger of blaspheming the Lord when we do this. You try to get God to do everything that you want rather than submitting to who he is, beginning to live for him, blasphemy is very, very close to being present. Second thing in living forgiven is this. Be careful around those who blaspheme the name of God. Listen, this is dangerous territory. One of the things that's interesting in our world today is that we just allow this to continually take place in front of us. The reality is that we have been convinced that as Christians we should be quiet and not bold. Listen, I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament, but boldness was a key attribute. We as Christians need to be bold. We're okay with people being lost and dying and continually blaspheming without lovingly approaching them. Look, we as the church, we as Christians need to stand for God. Look, we're gonna amen me shooting people that break into my house. We really need to amen that previous statement. We as the church need to be people that stand up boldly for God. A little better. Listen, before we kind of take up our, our Bibles and start beating people over the head that say wrong things, Jesus' approach was a loving approach. Understand that Jesus in this moment didn't draw his sword on the scribes and say, you will never call me Satan. He said, how can Satan fight against Satan? Listen, our response has to be appropriate. The way that we respond to this, the way that we show the love of Christ, can't turn somebody away from it. Listen, the scribes had to walk away in thinking, going, maybe this is the Christ. And the same opportunity that was given to them to submit to him is given to you and me. But their choice was to not. Third thing. I think this is a forgotten thing for us. We need to know that Jesus is stronger than any evil force in your life. For some reason, we live as Christians continually giving in to sin, not thinking that we can overcome it because of Christ. And Christ is telling them in this parable, I am more powerful. It's interesting because we typically use the verse James 4-7 for this. But to give a little bit of context, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one that in the previous part of this passage of Scripture was walking out saying, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He did not place his faith and trust in Christ until Jesus died on the cross and the resurrection took place. Listen to what his words are. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can I encourage you this morning? Jesus is strong enough to free you from any sin that you're involved with this morning. I don't know why that we think that he doesn't have the power. He's overcome death. He's given us life. For some, the hardest part of that passage of Scripture is to submit yourselves. So let me close with this thought. Don't blaspheme the Lord. It's a costly mistake. As you think about this, I've tried to give a clear path, a clear picture of what it means to to live for Christ and what it means to reject Christ. Reality is that I would be ignorant to think that some in this room aren't rejecting Christ completely this morning. I tell you, if you're here, if you're still listening to the word of God, there is much hope for you. You don't have to continue down that path. Just as the scribes, this story would have been completely different if the scribes would have looked to Christ and said, We get it. We're tired of fighting against you. We know that you are the Messiah. It's the same thing for you and I. Reality this morning is that for some, we try to flirt with living down two paths. Go to church, we'll live for Christ on Sundays, we'll partially do the things that are easy for us, but when it comes to genuine submission to sin, we don't. So I challenge you this morning, don't flirt with that line. Strive to live for Christ in everything that you do. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. I know that sometimes you come. To church on a thanksgiving weekend and think man pastor jeff's going to be really nice today and just give us a great message that that encourages us and makes us feel really good listen i think as i was studying this passage of scripture it's more appropriate for those that are the mature believers that are here look the first thing that we need to begin to do is truly stand for christ Stand in a loving manner. When somebody is saying something that is untrue, that is against God, we lovingly approach them on what is true. So that takes knowing what is true and knowing what is false also. So I ask you this morning which road are you headed down? Are you in the lump? The scribes continually trying to find something wrong with this Jesus. Maybe you've tried for a long time and you still haven't found anything wrong with this man. I tell you this morning, would you submit to him? If you're here and you're striving to live for, for Christ continually walking down that path saying I'm seeking to glorify God in everything that I do. But you continually fall short. Can I encourage you? Jesus will help you get the victory. For some of those that haven't fought against their sin in a really long time, I encourage you, take heart. Resist the devil. Flee from you. Trust the Lord in who He is. But quit trying to get Jesus to do what you want Him to do. And submit to Him and begin to live for Him fully. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for your word this morning. Thankful for the power that it has. Lord, even the term blasphemy, which we don't even use that much anymore. Lord, I pray that no one that is here this morning. Would blaspheme here, Holy Spirit, Lord, that those that are blaspheming your name on a continual basis, that we would show them through a loving approach on what it who you truly are. Well, I can't imagine the scribes walking away continually being frustrated by you. And knowing that many in this world do the exact same thing on a regular basis. May we truly submit to you this morning. Christ's precious and holy name, we pray. Amen. Everybody would stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And listen, I got to hear this song in the first service, and it's a beautiful song. But I ask you this morning is this song to say to evaluate your heart and evaluate your life? Are you truly submitting? truly living for Christ. Listen, one of the first steps of boldness is even thinking about being able to come to an altar like this. And but we need to be bold as Christians. Boldly living for Christ in everything that we do. So maybe it's a step of boldness for you. You've been quiet and silent for so long. But you just need to take a first step and begin to share Christ with the co begin to show the love of Christ to somebody that needs to see the love of Christ. Whatever it is this morning, I'd ask you to spend some time in prayer as they sing the words to this song.